Ah, Kendall, that was wonderful. Thank you for blessing us with that song. Hey, welcome everybody. Thank you for uh, watching. Uh, I'm Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at Mariners, and it's always our privilege to uh, help you in any way in your in your growth. There's a folk song that came out a number of years ago. I'm sure it's it's still sung. Uh, he's got the whole world in his hands. Remember that one? Remember that one? I'd like everybody at home to go ahead and sing the song. Ready? Let's go. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I thought. <laughs> um, well, that's what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. Not the song, but the idea. Only we're going to be adding something to it. We're going to be adding the word still. Because in the middle of all this nuttiness, what? He, God, still has a whole world in his hands. Would you take a second and pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, um, our, our loving God, thank you that we now have opportunity to allow your word and your Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. And I would pray that you would give me the words needed. <clears throat> so use this time for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, it seems that each month of 2020 uh, bring some new major problem. I, I love this meme that uh, somebody posted isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that great? Oh, look, here comes, here comes July. Now, there are words and phrases that are being used quite a bit uh, on advertisements and in and, and, and writings that actually are tossed around an awful lot to describe what's going on and what we're having to experience. There are words that are like, these are unprecedented times. Or how many times have you heard the word, the term, this is the new normal? Or, or things will never be the same, or, or, you know, get me out of 2020. There is one word that just, just hearing about it almost just wears me out. It's the word uncertainty. Doesn't that just take its toll? I mean, I mean to me, that word, it just seems to grind on me. Each day seems like there's more uncertainty uh, what are going to be the new guidelines? What are the new guidelines for what I can and can't do? What's that going to look like? What's July going to look like? In the fall, what's school going to look like? What's your job going to look like when you come back? It seems like it's all up in the air. It's all being floated around and tossed around. And because it's up in the air, it's, what's our word? Yeah, it's, un it's uncertain. It's on, uncertain on where it's going to land. Now, I don't like uncertainty. Um, I don't do well with uncertainty. I like things solid and secure and stable. And so I, I ask the question, well, well, where is God in uncertainty? Can God still be working even though things are so uncertain to us? I'd like you, if you would, for a few moments to just uh, um, transport yourself, if you could, in your mind, in your imagination, if you would, uh, for a second to an upper room. In fact, let's go to the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. In the upper room, they were celebrating the Passover meal, and Jesus and his disciples were all there. Now, now the Passover, it was a lot like 
uh, our Thanksgiving. They celebrated it every year. There was a meal. I'm not sure what your Thanksgiving was like. We had the traditional stuff. We had the turkey, and we had the, the potatoes, and we had the biscuits, and we had the adult table, and we had the kid table. Remember that? And if you were the middle child, you were never old enough to sit at the adult table, and, and you weren't young enough because the young one would always be sitting with mom at the adult table, so you were stuck with all the little kids at the little kid table. But there, they were eating the Passover meal, and this was a tradition that they, they would celebrate, and it was filled with symbolism. It would celebrate the last meal the Israelites had while they were slaves in Egypt, before God gave them freedom. Their last meal before, before freedom. And the whole story, and it's a really good one, is in the book of Exodus chapter 12. The people had been slaves for 400 years, and now they were about to be freed. And so that night they were instructed to, to kill a lamb and to eat it for their meal. They were to take the blood of the lamb and they were to put it on their doorposts. They were to put it on the sides and on the top. And if you had faith enough to do that, you would be passed over by the angel of death. And that's where they get the term Passover. Passed over. And tomorrow the Egyptians would let them go. Tomorrow you'll be free. So Jesus and his disciples are in this room, and you're in the room with them. And, and this year seems a little bit different than last. This Passover seems just a little bit toned down. Last year, Jesus you know, was a star, you know. Uh, he was rising on the charts, momentum is building, and you're kind of riding his coattails to be popular. Thousands are coming to hear him speak. This year's different. Things are a bit more tense. Rumors are kind of floating around that the authorities are trying to arrest him. In fact, each of the disciples, you included, had been approached by one of, one of the religious officials and had some questions asked that you were a little bit uncomfortable about, about Jesus coming and going. In fact, even Jesus seems a little bit on edge. And you know, since you've hitched your wagon to Jesus, if, if he goes down, what? You're going down too. But hey, Jesus is with you and, and things always work out because where Jesus is and God is, everything always works out, right? There's always going to be more certainty with God. I mean, isn't that true? Usually? And so you're having the meal, and Jesus pauses in, in the midst of the time. He says, one of you will betray me. One of you will deny me. And all of you will run. Now you've got to deal with that. And now, you, and now you realize in this upper room, your stable world, your certain world, is not so certain. You're having to deal with the uncertainty of what's going on. 
And Jesus is going to go to the garden and pray, and then the mob come and they, they arrest him. And you get scared. Because if they arrested him, they may arrest you. And so, what do you do? You run. Well, we know there's an unjust trial for Jesus. He will be hung on a cross and he'll be, he'll be dead the next day. And you think, well, because I was with Jesus, they may come for me too. And, and you just want to say, get me out of this. Because now all of a sudden, the world of certainty that you may have had a few weeks ago is now so uncertain. And, and there's something that, that is, is, is kind of be, be teased out of this. Something that solid that begins to come out. And, and I believe this is true for, for, for me I know it's true for you. God does his greatest work when he feels like he's doing the least. Sometimes God is doing his most awesome work when it just doesn't feel like he's doing anything at all. In the Bible book of 1 Kings, um, chapter 18 and 19, it's, it's, there's another great, great account of, of how real people can be in the Bible and how their emotions are so similar to yours and to mine. And, and this, this story, this account, always sticks to me when I feel weirdly feel that God is not doing enough. And it's about a main man named Elijah, and, and what happened is, is he is sitting alone in the wilderness, and he's sitting down under a solitary broom tree, and what he's praying is, God, just take me. End it all. I'm done. You know, it's all over. Let's, let's just... Finish it, and, and, and you, you ask yourself why, and as you read the story, it's because he has done some pretty miraculous things for God, and yet the king and queen now want to kill him, and it seems like everybody's out, out to get him. He's a prophet. He's a leader, and he has no followers. He's someone whose words should influence people, and, and yet nobody's listening. I was trying to imagine today what it would be like to... To, to have words with nobody listening. And then I had my staff meeting, and I found out about it. But the king and queen are really ticked off, and it seems like the world is against him, and he's kind of at the point where he's saying, what's the point? What's the point of all of this? I've done stuff for you, God, and you seem like you're doing the very least. And so God has to get Elijah's attention, and as you read the story, it's 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 a great thing. He's kind of he's kind of stuck up on this mountain in this cave, and all of a sudden he hears this huge sound, and he looks outside, and and all of a sudden this this big wind comes blowing through, and and it starts to tear apart the mountain, and rocks are flying here and there. But it says very clearly, but the Lord was not in the wind. And all of a sudden, it says after the wind there was an earthquake. And then it says, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after that, there, there was this fire. But it says very clearly, the Lord was not in the fire. There are all these, these huge displays of God speaking in nature or working through nature and all these things that are happening. But it says very clearly and almost oddly, but God was not in the wind. God was not in the fire. God was not in the earthquake. Well, what does that mean? What it means is 
just because big things are happening, God's not always just involved in the big things. And I know we've talked about this passage before as a church family, but it shows me something and it reveals something about, about me. I want really big displays of God's hand in my life. I want big displays. I want, you know, I want, I want the miracles. You know, I want earth and wind and fire and I like that group, but I want, I want God to work through these kinds of miraculous things. But it says three times, God was not in the wind. God was not in the fire. God was not in the earthquake. And then it goes on. And it says, but after the fire there was the sound of a gentle blowing. Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his cloak. He went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. He feels safe to come out. There's a gentle breeze, and gentle breezes on sides of mountains are common. It's not the wild and epic where God is working. And it says, a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? That's God saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he, you know, he complains, God, I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too, and all that. And, and what follows may be, I think, one of the most anticlimactic verses and passages in all the Bible. There's been this, these massive displays of a mountain blowing apart, and God's not in it. And when God finally reveals what he's doing, it's... <sighs> says this, the Lord said to him, go back the same way you came. Yeah, the same way? Really? I, w- I was just there, God. There's nothing, there's nothing there. And God says there is now. And he's going to say this. And he's going to give a list. He says, go back the way you came, and I want you to travel through the wilderness, the nowhere of Damascus. And what I want you to do is I want you to anoint this guy as as the king of Aram, and then anoint this other guy um, to be the king of Israel. And I want you to anoint another guy, Elisha, to take your place. And already, if you're reading these passages, you're beginning to yawn, or you're thinking now's a good time to get a a refill on, on on your coffee. And you're saying whatever it's saying, um, in uncertain or dull or whatever times, guess what? God is working. God is saying, Elisha, you think that I can only work when things are magnificently happening and going in your way. But even in the dull times, even when things look like they're going against you, even in the uncertain times, I got things happening. I got things going on. And just because we don't see things happening doesn't mean things aren't happening. And God is doing great work in you in this uncertain time. Um, all the time, we, I ask it, and you probably ask it too, you know, what is God trying to teach me? Have you ever asked that question? Um, what's God trying to show me? Have you ever asked that one? You know, um, God is doing about 10,000 things in your life at any given time. I think I'm lucky if he shows me one or two. God is doing a work, even in these uncertain times. 
And it doesn't have to be fire and shaking earth and huge displays. Okay, let's get back to Jesus. Um, If you were to ask the disciples a few weeks after the Last Supper, if you were to interview them and and ask them the question, um, um, hey, when was, was, was Jesus doing his greatest work? When was God the Father doing his greatest work? through God the Son. Was, was it when Jesus was so popular? You know, the crowds were coming out, you know. Ah, you know, here comes Jesus. Was it that time? Was it the parade they had for Jesus? Was, was that the time he was doing his greatest? How about the healing of the blind guy? The feeding of the 5,000? The water to wine? You tell us. When, when, when? Was it that cool thing he did, bringing Lazarus back from the dead? I think they would say no. God's greatest work was not the parade. It was not the miracles. It was not the teaching. Jesus' greatest work when it was, was when it seemed like God wasn't doing anything. Anything at all. They would probably say, in fact... God's greatest work was when we thought things were completely uncertain and, and, and completely out of control. I think God's greatest work, they would say, was when it looked like God was doing nothing. It was after one of us had betrayed him. It was after one of us had denied him. It was, it was even after all of us had run from him. Jesus' greatest work when it was when he was all alone on a cross when it seemed like God was doing the least and everything was out of control and everything was uncertain, he was doing the most. He was dying for the world. God does his greatest work when it feels like sometimes he's doing nothing or when he's doing the least or when things in in our lives seem the most uncertain. Second thing, my response to what's going on shows my trust in God. I mean, isn't that true? That just kind of follows. My response to what's going on, my response in the uncertainty reveals more about me than it reveals about God. I mean, I freak out, you know, and panic and stress. That doesn't reveal anything about God. It reveals so much about me. I I remembered this verse as I was looking through my Bible this week. Do not be afraid. The words of Jesus. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. My response to what's going on shows my trust in God. Several weeks ago, we talked about how God placed the ocean in its place and tells the waves, you can come this far, no farther. Walk down to the beach. Living on the coast, we do it far too seldom. Walk down to the beach and stand there and watch the waves come. Each wave, God knows, and as each wave rolls up closer to your feet, God says to that wave, this far, no farther. 
and understand that God is that much into the details of your life. Last thing, and please remember this one always. I don't always need to see God's hand. Why not? Because he's already shown me his heart. I don't always need to see God's hand because he has already shown me his heart. Can we go back to that upper room for just a moment, that Passover meal? If you were with Jesus, it would have been so traditional, you would barely think anything of it because you, you've, you've had this every year for your whole life. There was lamb that was there, there was bread, and there was cup of wine. And it says this, for this Passover, this last Passover that Jesus was having with his disciples, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples. That's, that's very normal. What Jesus said next, suck the wind out of the disciples. Take it, he said. This is my body. It says, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood, which is poured out for many. What Jesus is saying is, all this time you were taking the Passover, for the last 1,500 years, understand, it was about me. And all of a sudden, it begins to start to come together to you. The whole story. And all of a sudden, you begin to maybe grasp, even today, right now, how it all ties together. The Israelites had been slaves for 400 years. We've been slaves for our whole lives. For the Passover, you have to kill an innocent lamb. Jesus was the innocent lamb of God. For the Passover, you would actually put the blood on the, the door frame and in faith, death, what? It passes over you. By faith, we put the blood of Jesus over our lives and death, what? It passes over us. The Israelites will be free the next day. What happens with Jesus on the next day? He dies on the cross, and we are what? We're free. Time and time again in uncertain times, God is doing his greatest work. He's doing his greatest work when sometimes it may feel like he's doing his least. You don't need to always see God's hand. He's already shown you his heart. And to you and what you're going through, all the uncertainty, he is doing such an incredible work 
in your life. He's with you. He promised to be with you. He promised to walk with you through what you're going through. He's revealed his heart for you to die on the cross so that you can be free. I'm going to invite you now to take a moment and bow your head wherever you are. Maybe you're in your garage or in your living room, your bedroom. Maybe close your eyes. Past few months have been really trying and tiring with the uncertainty. We get it. God stays the same. He stays loving. He stays consistently caring about you. He's doing a work in you that you can't see. Could you right now, in faith, say, God, I don't know what it is you're doing, but I trust your heart in it. You may be watching this or listening to this. And all of a sudden it kind of became apparent what Jesus did for you. His blood, because of his blood, because of he, his punish, being punished for your sins, you can be free. Promise of God, the love of Jesus. And maybe you're saying, I want this blood applied to, to the doorway of my life. Father, fill me with your love. Jesus, fill me with an understanding of your grace and your love for me. Thank you so much. You are for me. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.